Welcome to the Live, Feel, Be podcast. I'm your host, JRV, and today we're going to be talking about the needs of the community. Now, first, let's just have a moment of gratitude because today has been off the chain in terms of signs and synchronicities and just overall blessings raining down on me from the Almighty, from the universe, from source, from God, whatever you call it. And it's just, it's been a good day. Lots of self-realization, lots of self-actualization, as always, working through life. Now, today for this podcast, I am back in my car and... I love recording in here. I don't know. I think it's the sound. I can hear myself. I can hear myself as I'm speaking. I don't, the the insulation in the car is crazy. I love it. Um, I'm back in the parking lot of Target. And I brought my laptop with me because today... While it is a stream of consciousness episode, there was an article that heavily influenced this or yeah, there was an article that heavily influenced this episode and spoke to the ideas that have been percolating in my brain for how many years now. And we're just going to pause right there because this article was, I think I serendipitously clicked on it. I think it was on the news um, app on my iPhone. And sometimes I just scroll because I'm not doing anything. And then I will see headlines that catch my eye and I'll click on it. And literally this article basically said everything that I had been thinking about in terms of community health. And it was perfect. <laughs> and what do you know? It's not even a new concept. Who would have thunk? There's nothing new in this world, y'all. So the article is called Maslow Got It Wrong, and it's a medium article by Teju Revolution. This article put into words everything that I had been thinking about in terms of my vision for community and for society and for the collective because there are many ways to do things. There are many ways to live life. There's many ways to have society. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I, you know, explored history and read more about history and the the nations that were wiped out or extorted or oppressed when they encountered colonialism is the fact that many of these nations welcomed these foreigners, these immigrants, these strangers with open arms. And for the longest time, I could not, I couldn't understand it. And I couldn't understand why you know, they would not be on guard, why they would not be suspicious. And I'm speaking like as a whole, but when I think about this, I'm thinking about like the First Nations um, here in America. Just the trust that 
is no longer present basically in the world we have a lot of mistrust and xenophobia and fear of people who do not look like us when previously when strangers landed on your land it wasn't such a defense (laughs) mode and mechanism it was more like okay curiosity and you know if they needed help they were helped and I used to think that okay that's that was maybe a defect or maybe that was that was just the way the world was you know there are winners and losers and there are people who conquer and people who are conquered which is you know that is how life goes but I don't think that that is the evolution and the way in which the human collective should be moving at large So when I envision the collective and the diaspora flourishing, I'm envisioning a community in which there is freedom. And not just freedom from oppression by another cultural group, but there's freedom within the society for each individual to be themselves and to explore themselves and learn themselves and, like I said before, contribute back to the society as I began to think, I started thinking about, okay, what are the barriers to having a society like this? You know, a society in where people are secure and able to rest assured in that security and move towards learning themselves and being who they are and being authentic to themselves. And what I realized is that a large barrier to that is the the fact that we live in such a society that promotes fear and scarcity mindset. When honestly, there is abundance. (laughs) There is real abundance out here and... Unfortunately, it's being hoarded by, you know, the 1% of the 1% who studies, not even studies, literally the figures have shown that world poverty can be ended probably seven times over. I think the number is seven times over if these wealthiest of wealthiest distributed their wealth and they would still be wealthy. Like... (laughs) money continues to generate and circulate they would still be wealthy but world poverty would be ended that's not nation poverty that's world poverty so what are the what are the barriers to abundance as a collective scarcity mindset distrust fear and when i started thinking about that i was like well These are some of the things that I see in even my existing life that I have to combat. And I'm living in a society in which 
there is it's possible for me to have abundance and to even think about having abundance because my food is secure my housing is secure and it's always been secure in my entire life and even then I still have to battle with fear and scarcity mindset as well it's crazy to think about because my parents who came from Nigeria they know real struggle like they know real real poverty and real real insecurity in terms of the material things and so they do have that fear that they don't want to go back they don't want to be hungry they don't want to be poor they don't want all of these different things and when I think about my family members back in Nigeria even I mean here we live in a capitalistic society and pretty much the world is driven by money and attaining more of it and stacking it and accumulating it we literally focus so much on not having that that it prevents us from seeing even when we do have it that this money can be multiplied and grown and manifested in the same way any other energy can be spread. I think we forget that money is it's made up. <laughs> it's a made up form of energy, of currency. Before there was money, there were other valuable goods. And so now we've established the system that we live in in which money is the energy that we use to get everything. But it doesn't have to be that way. What way would it be? I don't know. We're getting back to creative and authentic lives. Let's all creatively figure it out. But in this day and age where we're all moved and motivated for money to attain it so that we can continue living at a comfortable level, we... It's hard to consider moving past that and living for your passion, living for creativity, living for your authentic self when the message is implied and ingrained in us to do something that's going to generate money securely, stably. Is that a word? Stably? And... Because we're driven to do that, no matter if you're in a developing country or a developed country, you're driven to make money and accumulate money so that you are never hungry. And those that are hungry can't even think about, you know, envisioning (laughs) living for passion for the most part living for passion or for their creative interest because the money that they need to get all of their goods to give them security like food, water, shelter it's scarce so you have people that have 
the luxury of having enough money to be comfortable. You have people that have the luxury and the wealth of having enough money to free up their time. And then you have people who have no money and have no time. And even the people that do have money that are able to live comfortably, they're not living freely because their time is not their own. Their time is consumed with working, being at a job, and then coming home and fulfilling societal expectations, whatever your society dictates that you be at a certain age or as a certain type of person. Are we ever really free in that? I don't think so. And I think that's part of my journey in thinking about these things in the way that that I do and living my life in the way that I am creating it. So when I started to realize that, I realized, okay, freedom is based on, you know, the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I think everybody is familiar with that um, concept in the triangle where once you get once you get your physiological needs like your basic needs like housing, security, safety, food, water, warmth, rest, then you can start thinking about you know your psychological needs which is like your self-esteem, your ego, love, belonging, like your friendships, relationships. Um, And then once you have those needs met, then you can start thinking about your self-fulfillment needs, which is the process of self-actualization, which is achieving one's full potential, including creative activities. And we, we think... And I I used to be one of these people before I started thinking like this, that this was the process. This was the natural order of things because I could see it. I could see how true it was in my life and in the lives of people around me. But once I started thinking differently, like this wealth distribution, it's possible, number one. Number two money is not real (laughs) number three the real wealth is in time and resources and then number four there are people who are poor in the you know money currency way of speaking but they are wealthy in their lives like they're wealthy in their love relationships they're wealthy in their spirit they're wealthy and healthy in their emotions and in their body so is this really is this really something that is stepwise that is completely necessary to be able to live a full and creative life you know there are there are so many creatives that start off with nothing, but they 
they live their creative lives. They pursue their passion. And that brings them all of the wealth and all of the stability that they were looking for. All of the security they were looking for. And then I started thinking, you know, with all of the First Nations and all the all the indigenous people around the world, honestly, how wealthy they were in terms of community and love and abundance and trust in themselves and their community in the earth, you know, just trusting that they would be provided for, that they were able to generate food, clothing, um, comfort, trust, and how that trust was taken advantage of. From, I don't, when I read history, I don't try to think about the colonizers and their thought processes. I think that is something that eventually I'll be able to think about and try and figure out what was wrong with them that they had to go and exploit the whole world. But I try to focus on the indigenous people and their resilience and all the ways in which their societies were disrupted and how either we can get that back or how we can improve upon that. So when I found this article on the news app and I read it, I was like, holy crap, that's literally what I've been thinking of because all of these indigenous people, they didn't have the traditional sense of wealth. They didn't have all this money Um, that was used to just buy things they had a more organic sense of wealth wealth in your relationships wealth in your abundance you know in your environment in your spirit they had that kind of wealth and that kind of community before it was so rudely disrupted and warped into what it is today the lifestyles that we're living today highly individualistic and not focused on self-actualization focused more so on you know keeping up with the joneses accumulating lots of wealth and just holding on to it because you're scared to let it go I literally just had the thought that the reason people who even are middle class or upper middle class kind of get stuck there or can get stuck there is because we're all coming from somewhere where there's fear and scarcity and we're afraid of letting this money go when in reality we, you know, money can grow, (laughs) money can grow, money can multiply money can expand and transform but we don't see it that way because we're not taught to see it that way and it's only a few people that are taught to see it that way and a few people who are blessed to be born with the mindset and the the capacity to 
see it that way. Anyway, back to the main point of this podcast. The the indigenous people had the true wealth, if you think about it. Or maybe they didn't. Who knows? But I think that there is something to be said about the way lives were lived then. I'm not saying we should go back to it. You know, I don't I don't ever believe in moving backwards. What are you going backwards to? Like <laughs> with religion, with societies, like studying these concepts and learning more about them. It shouldn't be to return to them. It should be to apply it to this present moment and envision where you want to go with this. So I I usually I don't I don't think about going backwards and making this, you know, a replica of indigenous societies because all societies have their problems, all societies have their growth. Like we've talked about, we're on a collective journey of our individual collectives and of the human collective. So This article talks about how the Blackfoot Nation actually informed Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where they actually had a nation's perspective of self-actualization being the bottom of the, the hierarchy, like the first step. And then the next level was community actualization. And then the third level is cultural perpetuity. And instead of, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which only encompasses the individual and focuses on one's individual life, this hierarchy of needs focused on the, inv- the individual first in relation to the community and in relation to time and they had a more expansive thought process and thought concept of time which you can see when you when you go and revisit the histories of all of these indigenous nations and the first nations the way they thought about the spirit was different the way they thought about time was different and it was centered around different things like food like animals the earth And so when I read this article, I was like, wow, so I'm not just out here on a limb, obviously, because how many people have lived before me, much wiser and smarter than I am, who have thought about this in the same way, and in the same way I'm envisioning for my own collective, in which there is enough security in community that each individual can focus on self-actualization first which would be so lovely (laughs) so lovely because then you can focus and realize who you are first and then you realize that and like we've been talking about you place that in the context of the community and you are in alignment with yourself producing something of value generating something of value to yourself and the community that helps your culture thrive and your culture expand. I literally loved (laughs) 
I love thinking about how this this actual perspective fit into my envisioned society, my envisioned collective, and how the actual needs of an individual center around less of an less of an individualistic approach even though I keep saying focusing on the self is the first step it's less of an individualistic approach because once you have completed that you know initial self-actualization process you've already learned all the tools to continue to actualize for the rest of your life and reinvent and rebirth yourself and continue to generate value to the community that you're a part of. And not only that, once that is done, then you have placed yourself as part of something larger than yourself, which we all are, which is what our spirit is and which what which is what feeds our spirit to be part of something larger than yourself. Humans are social creatures, which is why we're so heavily influenced by the communities and the environments around us. When you think about it, living for yourself, putting yourself first, while in a sense seems highly individualistic and selfish, it is a process to self-actualization, which brings about collective actualization and collective manifestation and collective growth and generation. It's beautiful to think about. And it's beautiful that it's been done before. Because if, it, if it's been done before, it means it can be done again. This has been the Live Philby podcast. I'm your host, JRV. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sometimes I feel like my thoughts are a little bit scattered or all over the place, but I think that this made more sense as I talked it out and hopefully I can continue to revisit this topic and articulate the past, present, and the future better in terms of how I envision it and how I see the needs of the collective being met. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you on the next one.